Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. We continue our series today, Danger from Within, with a message titled, The Influence of False Teachers. So turn in your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 17 to 22, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. False teachers lead weak and vulnerable people astray. It's not just that they're arrogant and won't submit to legitimate authority. I mean, if that were all, well, they'd be only harming themselves. It's that they're leading people astray. See, for faithful Christians, the emphasis must always be the purity of the gospel. But what happens if we buy some false teaching? How can anyone, after all, be right about everything? Now, if you don't know this yet, let this sink in. There's a world of difference between differences on some points of doctrine and differences over things that are essential and affect salvation. Let's put it into practical terms. You know, for one, Christians have long had differing views on the exact sequence of events that will precede the second coming of Jesus. I mean, some argue that Christians are going to be raptured before the Great Tribulation begins. Others argue that Christians will suffer through the Great Tribulation and be raptured on the other side. And still others argue that the talk of the Great Tribulation is a metaphor for the struggle with the world of flesh and devil that's going on at the present time. See, I'm not saying that these debates are unimportant, but let's also be clear. In most cases, those on various sides of the debate are biblicists. They believe the gospel. They believe in the one true Jesus. They hold to the inerrancy of Scripture. They believe that at the end of the age, Christ will return and establish his eternal kingdom. It's a serious error to call these kind of differences false teaching. But there are false teachings that, if they are swallowed, affect a person's eternity. And from what we've read in 2 Peter so far, Peter's concerned with the false teaching that claims you can be in Christ and keep walking in unrepentant sin. And that's the key to today's study. If the gullible, the weak, the vulnerable swallow false teaching, they're going to be muddled and ineffective at best, or they'll make a total shipwreck of their salvation at worst. Well, that's the introduction, so let's begin by reading today's text, 2 Peter 2, 17-22. These are waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. For them the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person to that he is enslaved. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, They are again entangled in them and overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit and the sow after washing herself returns to wallow in the mire. Now, if you're tracking with me and have heard the earlier passages that I've discussed, You're going to remember that Peter was discussing the character of false teachers. But now his emphasis shifts from the actual teachers themselves to the effect that they have on their followers. And at first glance, it might seem that verse 17 is still speaking about the character of the false teachers. Remember, verse 17 said, These are waterless springs and mist driven by a storm. For them the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. But pay attention to the metaphors. 
The first is that of a waterless spring. You know, Jude speaks about the same thing, and he uses the metaphor of clouds without rain. Well, in either case, the meaning's the same. You got to imagine a traveler walking through a desert and the water runs out. He's now desperate. He needs a drink. He sees a spring from a distance and he leaves every other direction he might have taken. And he heads towards that spring only to realize that he's used every last bit of energy of going towards that spring when it's dry. And that's the effect of false teachers on their followers. They've come to a false teacher because their souls deeply needed to drink. And at first it may seem that here is that for which their soul craves. And only later do they find out they've received nothing. They're still dry and barren. And the next image is mist driven by a storm. You know, once the mist overtakes you, you can't see your way through. You're now in a fog. And where you might have seen things clearly, now confusion reigns. So the false teachers seem so sure of things at the first but one who is under their teaching for some time becomes steadily confused. Finally, the image is of one of utter darkness, and once utter darkness descends, it seems that there's no way out. And so that's the basic problem with false teachers. At first, they seem to promise so much, but progressively, they're going to leave their followers tired, lacking in the thing that they once thought was there, and their souls are starving. I've seen this again and again. I mean, talk to someone who's been under false teaching for many years and the certainty and clarity that was promised them when they were a newly convert to that movement is gone. What has replaced it is weariness and emptiness of soul. If they're allowed to be honest and if they're given the safety to express what they've experienced, it's a nagging sense of disappointment. All they were supposed to experience came to nothing. Jeremiah spoke about that in his day, Jeremiah 2, 12 to 13. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and hewn out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. It's an amazing image. God offers a spring of living water. And the people have refused. Instead, they've dug out a cistern of stale water, but that water keeps leaking away, and they're left only with a barren, dry hole. It's what the followers of false teachers have in the end that concerns Peter. And, and well, he should be concerned because Peter is a shepherd. He's a pastor who's much concerned with the well-being of others. Now, having stated his basic premise, false teachers promise much, but in the end will not satisfy Peter's now ready to talk about specifics. And here's the first one. It's found in verse 18. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. See, false teachers, says Peter, entice their followers rather than appeal to them. So let's see what the false teachers do. Peter mentions that they speak loud boasts of folly. And to be clear, Paul himself in his letters speaks much about boasting. Yeah. 1 Corinthians 1.29, he says that the gospel of Jesus Christ is such that when it's understood, no human being can boast about anything before God. And then two verses later, he says, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And of course, there's the very famous Galatians 6 verse 14, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. And in contrast, says Peter, here's what a false teacher does. They boast in themselves, either in their insights, in their accomplishments, or in something. 
and their followers become enamored with them. Look how great they are, say the followers. You know, I know one pastor who also wrote books and regularly told his congregation that he was keeping track of the numbers as to how far he had risen among the most influential voices in America. See, it seems to me the congregation was eating that stuff up. They loved it. Boasting out of their own folly, says Peter. He calls this boasting foolishness, madness, stupidity. If people knew the theology of the cross, they'd cease boasting immediately. And then, says Peter, they not only boast and attract followers by that, they also entice sensual passions of the flesh. See, the flesh might be desire for sex or power or wealth or fame or intellectual brilliance, but the false teachers promise that God's going to give you something that your sinful flesh always wanted. And in the next phrase, you can see exactly where Peter is getting to. He says false teachers entice those who are barely escaping. Well, who are those people? Well, maybe they're new converts. And this is one of the fascinating things about false teachers. They rarely go out and win people who are, shall we say, in the world or a part of wider non-Christian culture. Their target is to go after so-called new believers, immature believers, badly trained believers. Whether it's liberal Christian professors in seminary who confuse young men and women, or groups like the Jehovah's Witnesses, or a vast number of people in between, each of those groups have grown by targeting the weak, the erring, the straying, or those confused. A little word about myself. I was, as a young man, going off to seminary so many years ago, and I had been confused by false teachers, and now I was sitting under liberal seminary professors. By God's grace, I double-read for all my classes, reading conservative Christian texts alongside of assigned liberal texts. You know, the Holy Spirit saved me. And because false teachers make loud boasts and ridicule true teachers of the Word, I I heard plenty of that in seminary. A group of people who would say, you know, wow, look at how silly those who believe in inerrancy are. In the end, they're waterless clouds, dry springs in a desert. Everything they promised ended up in nothing. You know, there's certain sensitive topics some of us tend to avoid discussing, even with our loved ones. Money is definitely one of those. But since the Bible certainly does not shy away from discussing the matter of money, then neither should we. That's why we're so excited to share with you our newest resource called 10 Questions About Money Matters. It's a short booklet based on Dr. John's audio series, God and Money, and it will help you address financial issues from a biblical perspective. We're confident this resource will provide financial guidance helping us to become better stewards of the resources that God has graced us with. We're thrilled to offer you this booklet for free for the whole month of August. To request your copy or to offer a gift to support the ministry, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. The great problem with all false teaching is that when one follows what the false teachers say, did you know what they don't tell you is everything they give you is powerless in the face of sin. Look at verse 19. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. 
for whatever overcomes a person, to that he's enslaved. Isn't that what everyone's hungering for? So let's face it. We all want it, don't we? Freedom. Freedom from tyranny. Freedom from government intrusion or government overreach into our lives. Freedom to pursue our heart's desire. Freedom to live in the way we wish to live. And please don't hear me mocking any of that. God did not create us to be in bondage. I mean, read the second book in the Bible, the book of Exodus, and see Israel groaning under the burden of oppression. The book of Exodus says that God heard their groaning. I mean, hear the stories of those who are in parts of the world today, and they live in a caste system or some other system that permanently places them in an inferior position and bestows on them a lesser status. Hear the stories of people who live in generational poverty or the stories of people who have no access to education or to the levers of power to change their own lives. Indeed, hear the stories of people when the government spies on every aspect of their lives. And what do people want? They want freedom. The desire for freedom is not to be despised. No, Peter's not mocking the desire people have to be free. Indeed, the gospel of Jesus is concerned with freedom. But there's something horribly deceitful about false teachers. They, like so many others, promise freedom. But what you don't know about these people is not only are they unable to give you what they promise, but they themselves have been unable to free themselves. They're not free people, they're slaves. How so? Because the ultimate freedom, before which all other forms of freedom pale in comparison, is to be free from sin. Let's provide the easiest example. Imagine a well-educated young woman from a wealthy, upwardly mobile family. She's completely hooked on fentanyl. Every advantage she might have is only a cruel illusion as her flesh overpowers her will and robs her of every advantage that should have been hers. Soon she's going to die in despair. I mean, what's political freedom to someone like that? And that's what Peter means when he says everything that overcomes a person, to that he or she is enslaved. And that means that your will might say, you know, I'm going to take freedom, but the flesh mocks the will and thinks the will is but weak and easily defeated. So your will says, I choose freedom, but the flesh, like Pharaoh in the book of Exodus, says, oh no, you remain my slave. And that's the issue of the gospel. To be free, truly free, is to be a slave of Christ. Peter began his letter that way, said Simeon Peter, a servant at doulos, a slave of Christ. The one who is Christ's slave is the person who doesn't need to serve any other master. It was Bob Dylan who years ago sang the song, You've Got to Serve Somebody. He said, it might be the devil and it might be the Lord, but you've got to serve somebody. How happy are those who are slaves of Christ, for that truly is the freedom that our souls need. But the false teachers, they're not free. Peter says they themselves are slaves of corruption. So why do you think? There are so many sexual scandals in the church. It's because people are slaves of corruption. I mean, they might say no, but the lower nature says yes. It's enslavement to the flesh that drives them along. And so among the followers of false teachers, the ones who have been promised freedom, eventually they're going to discover it was a false promise. Again, the image of waterless springs come to mind. So much was promised. In the end, the well was dry. No power over sin was provided. And let me stop here and make an appeal. Get away from teachers that are cool and attractive. Cling to teachers who know virtue, who are sober-minded, who practice self-control. I mean, they might not be as cool, but they're teaching the truth. 
and you will learn to yield to the Holy Spirit through them and win the war of the flesh. Finally, Peter brings the followers of false teachers to the end of the matter, and that shouldn't surprise us. Everything has to end somewhere. And so Peter asks his readers to consider, where will you be after you follow the false teacher? What will become of your life? You need to get beyond the initial excitement of being with a confident false teacher who makes fun of the commands that others live under and who proclaims himself to be the man you want to follow. Look at verses 20 to 22 again. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they're again entangled in them and overcome, the last eight has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit, and the sow after washing herself returns to wallow in the mire. You know, in the earlier section, when we considered Peter's three examples, that of the you know fallen angels being brought to gloomy dungeons, and the world at Noah's time being drowned in the flood, and the twin cities of Sodom and Gomorrah being destroyed, in each one of those examples, we saw two characteristics that always lead to judgment. The first is lawlessness. I mean, why do I need to bow my head before God and his commands in my life? It seems so freeing to overthrow those shackles, doesn't it? Yeah, initially, it does seem exhilarating. I know of one pastor who, you know, always would throw in an occasional F-bomb into his preaching to the delight of the audience. How freeing it was. You know, not like the dry preachers who were modest in speech. You know, I mean, lawlessness always comes first. But after that follows licentiousness or shameless immorality. That's what Peter's after when he speaks of the dog returning to its own vomit. I know that's a graphic image, but I wonder if you've witnessed a dog doing just that. You know, Peter says, let that image live inside you. It's the image of a young, weak, inexperienced, or gullible young person who has said, I wish to come to Jesus. Jesus can forgive my sins, make me whole. And that was the beginning. And then came the false teacher with his promises of freedom, freedom to do what you want, freedom to use your spirituality to get anything you want. And you never hear about, you know, bearing your own cross and joining Jesus on the pathway of suffering. You've never heard, unless you put to death the flesh, the flesh is going to put you to death. You're never told that you needed to fight for holiness, for purity. But you heard so much about freedom and getting what you want. And then like a dog, you once vomited out your sin, and here you are, you're eating it all over again. What's become of you? Is this what you envisaged when you followed the false teacher and the false teaching? Did you see sexual exploitation and greed and lack of compassion and being taken advantage of and also taking advantage of others? The very vomit you once cast aside, it's what you're having for lunch now. It's a horrible image. How did it get to that, eating one's own sin over and over again? Notice the word defilements. At one time, they've escaped the defilements of the world. As we've seen before, this leads to the question of whether you know these people were actually saved in the first place and then lost their salvation. So let's understand. Salvation, when it's offered, is full, it's final, it's forever. Jesus said in John 10, 28, I give them eternal life. No one, even false teachers, will be able to snatch them from my hand. Secondly, we also notice that from many texts in Scripture, that until the end, there's always going to be a mixing of true believers with false believers, and it's not going to be easy to tell them apart. And third, the test of whether one's a true believer is this test. When the Lord sends warnings, the true believer responds and repents. That's grace that comes with conversion. 
Yeah, of course, true believers also sin, but they will repent and seek the power of the Spirit to live victoriously over sin. Now, what Peter's describing is that there are those who heard the call to repent and believe, and in that call, they heard the call to escape the defilements of the world, and they acted. And then when the call came again to continue to flee from the defilements of the world, they didn't respond because they were listening to a false teacher. In the case of the false teachers, there was never a warning from them. Flee from things that pollute body and soul. See, this is the mark of those who are saved. They continue to take warnings seriously. Jesus said they won't listen to a false teacher. Indeed, because of the assurances given by false teachers, false teachers say, look, there's no danger. Just carry on. And then slowly, step by step, people become entangled in the sin they once left. Then, says Peter, what they become is worse than what they were before they heard the gospel. That's the ultimate tragedy of listening to false teachers. For when they are done with you, you're going to say, I wish I had never heard them in the first place and had never started down the road they painted for me. For what I was before I heard their message wasn't good, but what I became through their message was infinitely worse than what I had before I met them. And for all those reasons, it's important to warn against false teachers It's a matter of the souls of countless men and women who might have lived for Christ. Thanks for your message, John. Let me ask you, can we or even should we talk about and learn from those who've fallen from faith? Yeah, I know, you know, personally for myself, Ben, I I prefer not to, but I know that the scripture demands that I should. And I know that we should because... Uh, we, we have to paint a portrait of what falling from grace looks like so that we'd be shocked by it and say, you know, oh, Lord, keep me from these kind of errors. Um, it, it's very important not only to learn, you know, the positive outcomes of certain people's lives, which we certainly should emulate, but we should also look at the negative outlook or outcome of certain people's lives, and we should say, Lord, keep me from walking the pathway that they walked or believing the doctrines that they taught. Thanks, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, Danger From Within, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. Back to the Bible Canada blog page has recently seen some exciting changes. So in addition to Dr. John's blogs, we'll now be having regular monthly blog contributions from special ministry guests and friends of the ministry. So make sure to receive the Back to the Bible Canada Dr. John and Company blogs each week by signing up for our audio mail or download our Back to the Bible Canada app or just visit backtothebible.ca every week. Timely, interesting, biblical perspective sharing thoughts about faith, life, and culture with the Bible at the very center. To check out the Dr. John and Company blog page, visit backtothebible.ca or call us at 1-800-663-2425 for more information. And remember to ask for your free ministry resource, 10 Questions About Money Matters, during the month of August. 